So we're in Acts 17, 22-31. We invite you, as you are able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Reading out of the New Living Translation. So Paul, standing before the council, also translated Mars Hill, the proper name being the Areopagus, I know that blesses you, Address them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about now. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve His needs for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything and He satisfies every need. <clears throat> From one man, He created all of the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they would rise and fall and He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us, for in Him we live and move and exist. That's a quote from one of their philosophers. As some of your own posts have said, we are... <laughs> some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him, for He has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man He has appointed, and He proved to everyone who this is, by raising him from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is your day. Let the words that I speak and the thoughts that come upon our hearts and minds be honoring, acceptable, pleasing to you, our Lord, who is our rock, our foundation, our Savior our Redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Have you noticed that the world keeps changing around us? I promise you it was a slip. I accidentally said posts instead of poets in the Scripture reading. Ten years ago, I could not have made that mistake because post would not have been a word that would fit in that sentence. Because if you were talking about a person's post, you imagine they were outside with the post hole digger putting posts in the ground, not putting posts on Facebook or email or even on a text. Have you ever sometimes felt like you just kind of don't fit in in the place you're at? Um, Marty is correct. The original phrase is you feel like a fish out of water. 
But, Marty, what you did not understand was that I had this picture to go with the phrase, duck out of water. And that's worth tweaking the phrase for. So, have you ever felt like a, a duck out of water? I know that in our entertainment industry, we get a lot of that kind of thing, don't we? Like in the lower left-hand corner, the Beverly Hillbillies, that whole series was about ducks or fish out of water. And then there was that wonderful Meet the Parents where the prospective son-in-law is strapped down to a polygraph machine. We all feel that way even though we don't have, is that Robert De Niro strapping him down? We all kind of feel that way when we meet the parents for the first time, don't we? So many life experiences are like that. The kids detail some of them today. Being in a new school, being in a new church. How about a new job? How about the job interview? And meeting the significant other's family. Well, let, let me ask you something. Have you ever, and I'm going to give you about 30 seconds worth of feeling a little awkward here. It's my gift to you this morning. Have you ever been at one of these concerts where the people are doing backflips on the stage and stuff like that? Okay. So see if this feels like a place you'd be a little awkward. Kelton, I hope the music's up. It is. Okay, Miss Jen is going. No, not yours either. Okay, well, it's coming down now. Don't worry. Say bye-bye. See? That's not y'all's kind of music. Would you feel a little uncomfortable if you were at that concert? Yeah? How do you handle those kind of moments? Cover your ears. Let's make it a little more general. How do you handle those kind of moments whenever you feel awkward? This is one of the ways it's suggested. Y'all get the point? Building bridges, finding connections, looking for common ground. Like for instance, let's say you're meeting the prospective in-laws and they're talking about how, the guys are talking about how they're rebuilding the truck. You know nothing about rebuilding trucks. You thankfully know the difference between a carburetor and an alternator, but not by much. But after a while of sitting there quietly, someone mentions NASCAR. Oh yeah, I I've seen that. I've seen that the cars go, they're only making left turns. I've seen that. You try to find the place when you're in a new school. You find someone, hopefully, who has some of the same interests. Or you have an event that just happened and people are talking about it and you were a part of it, so you come in and say, well, yeah, I was there at the last uh, taping uh, on one of the last seasons of uh, Home in uh, not Home Improvement, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Yeah, it was a wonderful time. You find a way to build a bridge. Paul on Mars Hill, was trying to build a bridge to start off with. Now, don't ever mistake, Paul was very educated for the standards of his day. 
He was a student of Gamaliel, the foremost Pharisee, teacher, philosopher of his day. Paul was also a Roman citizen by birth. He was highly intelligent, but you know as well as I do when the young man from Jerusalem comes to Athens, he's going to have a bit of an accent, isn't he? Any of you? Okay. Robbie's in New York. One of the things he's dealing with is he's going to, you know, like, do they have Hardee's in New York? Let's say McDonald's. McDonald's, what? Denny's. Yeah. He goes to the Denny's and says, well, yes, ma'am, I'd like so-and-so. And maybe he even asked for some iced tea. She looks at him weird and then brings him tea without any sweetener in it because he didn't say sweet tea. She goes, you're from the South, aren't you? Don't look at Rick. Come on. I did, I know I didn't do a good job of that accent. But here's the thing. You feel a little bit different. Paul was feeling like, hey, what's the Beverly Hillbilly in the middle of Athens? And he preached in a way that we do not find recorded elsewhere in the New Testament. He took a different approach. I've even heard one minister saying it was the worst sermon he ever preached because he didn't present the gospel forthrightly. Well, here's the thing. They didn't have the common ground for him to dive straight in to the story. He had to take several steps back intentionally and find the place where they could have that common ground and have that agreement. So he had to step back from the things that the good, uh, educated Jewish men of his day took for granted. Which is what he did. Now the thing is, this is a hard but necessary work sometimes when we are sharing our faith or just in basic human relationships, but I think it might be a skill that we're in danger of losing nowadays. Have you noticed that in our modern life it is a lot easier to connect with only those who already agree with us? Have you noticed that? I mean, it's very easy to friend someone on Facebook. It's very easy to unfriend someone on Facebook. It's very easy if you're watching a news report and your blood pressure stops climbing, just Click the channel. I've even heard some people saying, you know, we wish that, you know, in a sermon it was a lot more like that experience because if the topic's not right, I just go to the next topic. And if he's gotten a little slow, I just hit the fast forward. Where's my easy chair? That's the kind of thing that we are used to now. And I'm afraid that our culture is kind of paying the price. There's a Burning Bridge, which also was a burning section of I-85, if y'all don't remember that. Because sometimes people do burn bridges. There are falling outs. For instance, Paul and Barnabas had a falling out. My goodness, Desi and Lucy had a falling out. These things happen in business, in marriage, and obviously in a culture. These things happen. And when this happens, the prescription both in psychology, sociology, and in Scripture is kind of the same. 
And it's called reconciliation. In other words, finding where you can stand with each other, building that bridge, recovering that common ground. Now for someone who is about to give a presentation to strangers or to preach a sermon, the first order of business usually is to find common ground. You notice all of Jesus' parables tended to relate to the life experience of the people there. The sower casting the seeds. The weeds being pulled up at the same time as the wheat. The sorting of the wheat from the chaff in that little ring of stones that they would put it and they'd toss it up and the grain would fall and the chaff would just be blown off. All of these things that they were used to, these were the things that Jesus said, I'm going to connect to them with this for they understand this. And preachers, we still try to do this. For instance, have you ever felt like a fish out of water? Yeah, we've all felt that way. You take these things and build from them. So how does Paul handle this? Well, going back through this, let's find our common ground here. You know, in, before actually reading that, you remember in verse 22, I see you are very religious. Does anyone remember how that was translated in the King James Version? Men of Athens, I see in all things ye are too superstitious. It's a little sidebar. Why was that changed from a compliment to an insult? Specifically in the King James Version, the documents that they used to translate it had the, the words there, so it was okay. The Greek wasn't changed. But if you remember, when was Europe's wars of religion? The 16th and 17th century. When was the King James Version translated? 1611. So here the translators are, well, I see that in many things you are very religious. He couldn't be complimenting them. They're pagans. This is the spirit of Antichrist. We've got to figure out. So they stretch a little too superstitious, but this was not an attack upon the men of Athens. This was building common ground. So in verse 22... Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found, by the way, his heart would have been breaking as he saw all these idols. Don't forget. I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What you are worshiping in ignorance, I will proclaim to you. So basically he's saying, I see you're very religious. You've even got this altar to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you about this unknown God that you are worshiping. He goes on in verse 26, he makes the point, from one ancestor he made all nations of the earth. So again, we're all brothers and sisters. We were all made by God. We are children of the same heavenly Father. In verse 27, so they would search for God and perhaps grope for Him and find Him. So acknowledging that in all of this they're doing, even the idols, that is an impulse to reach out to God that they are following. And he even ties in some of their own thinkers into this. For instance, in him we live and move and have our being. 
for we are his offspring. These are things that the people of that day were saying in Athens. So he has built that common ground and that common basis for saying, here we can stand together. Now that we are standing here, will you walk with me on a little journey, just a little ways, and see if this feels like a journey we can take together? In verse 28, paraphrasing, but remember, He made us. We don't make Him. We shouldn't think that we are meeting His needs, and if we don't make these idols, He's not going to be able to receive our worship. So he's not soft-pedaling the difference. But he starts with the common ground. In verse 30 to 31, now, God doesn't really, he's not holding you responsible for these things in ignorance, but now there has been this amazing historical event happen, and now I'm proclaiming this to you. And by the way, you can tell that God was doing it because this guy, Jesus from Nazareth, he was dead, now he's alive. That hasn't really happened like that before. So to present the gospel, he finds where they can first relate and then he starts walking them down the path. Now that way of finding common ground can be difficult. Often there are many who say, no, I see where you're going, I just don't even want to think in that direction. But at least, at least they can focus on and say, but I still understand that we have these certain places that we can agree and I can respect you on the basis of these things we can agree upon. That's where I see our culture really struggling right now. With our media really enjoying every moment of every division and every disruption. See, our world is changing. On that image on the left, it has 2005-2013. Uh, for our uh, Catholic brothers and sisters, on the upper one, that was 2005 at the coronation, inauguration, ordination of a pope in 2005, eight years later, 2013. What's different? The iPads, the cell phones, everybody's, they're not standing there respectfully or raising their hands in prayer. They're like, ooh, ooh, I got a good shot. That's a little weird. The world keeps changing, not just in the extra things like this or in the peripheral things. We have to work harder sometimes now to find common ground. We have to work harder not to let ourselves get pulled into this increasingly combative and reactive culture. Now for the Christian, the solid ground remains Christ and what He has taught. Now that doesn't necessarily mean all of the peripherals. I mean, we always like to joke about church carpet or drape color and things like that, but a lot of things that are a part of our worship culture is not something that is essential to the gospel. 
You go to Africa and you'll find a vastly different worship culture, but odds are you're going to find the same Christ, the same teaching on all of the essentials. Remember that music earlier? Yeah. Made you a little uncomfortable, didn't it? How shocked are you going to be when I let you know that that was Christian music? Yeah, it was. Actually, that's by a group that, as I understand it, was the first group since Elvis and the Beatles to have two top ten hits on the billboard at the same time. That's... And at the end of that very wild and <clears throat> song, this is a section of it that they pulled out. Let's see if, and I hope it's still up. And I'll read out the line and then the interpretation because they like you to try to figure this out. And I'm going to cheat. Okay. You are surrounded. You are surrounded. All my surroundings. In other words, you're everywhere. Sounding down the mountain range of my left side brain, believe it or not, you're the source of my ability to think and reason. You're surrounding all my surroundings. For instance, in you we live and move and have our beings. Twisting the kaleidoscope behind both of mine, which is you are the source of my creativity and ability to see beauty. Now you have to decode that, and I know I'm getting some skeptical looks, but trust me. If you have ever been around a praise and worship gathering, that feel of playing the piano softly and everyone singing it slowly afterwards, that's straight out of the Christian vein of praise and worship singing. And that is now the top group in the U.S. Let me just read a couple of things here and we'll be done. Remember in 2 Corinthians... God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. But lest you think it is just this relationship, that we are to reconcile in. Let's add to that the words of Jesus himself. When asked what is the summary of the all of the laws of the prophets, what are the most important laws? Jesus replied, you must love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. You must love your neighbor as yourself on the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments in Sunday school class this morning there was an interesting discussion which <laughs> coincidentally wound up being about getting out of your comfort zones. How difficult that sometime is. How difficult, I think, too, sometimes for us to 
set aside the things that would put us on one side or the other and fail to look for that common core as Americans, as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is such a hard job nowadays. But we serve the God who came out of heaven, out of his zone of comforts, to be placed in a manger, to be a helpless infant, to grow and live amongst us, and to die on a cross for us. Surely, the little ways he asks us to stretch cannot be asking too much. Dear Lord, let it be that we can hear you and follow you even whenever we are nervous, whenever we might not yet see what you're doing or see your presence in the midst of the situation. And Lord, for our nation that is so divided, let us stop listening to the voices that would egg on the hostility and the division and let us again recover that common ground. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.